Good morning and welcome to the Leadership and Insurance Podcast. I'm your host, Alex Bond, and I'm very lucky today to be joined by Jim Duane, who's Chief Executive Officer of Bolt USA. Um, Jim, how are you? Fantastic. Happy to be here, Alex. Yeah, thank you. Well, look, before we dive into the podcast, um, I don't think there's many people who don't know who Bolt are um, because you've made such a dent on the insurtech space, but it'd be really great if you could introduce yourself uh, and the Bolt business. Yeah, sure. So uh, Jim Duane, like you said, I'm the CEO of of, uh, Bolt's US operations. So I essentially oversee um, our business and make sure that we're not just providing uh, to our customers what they need, but we're also finding ways to help our customers uh, kind of innovate and uh, digitize in different ways. The insurance industry, as everyone everyone knows, and I'm sure we'll get into a little bit in this podcast, the insurance industry is, is you know, rapidly beginning to embrace technology. So as carriers, distributors, technology companies, insurtechs partner together to do that, we are happy to be kind of at the center of that. And you've been very much at the center of that, I think. Um, and I think one of the challenges was like outside looking into Bolt is, is kind of defining exactly what it is that Bolt does. Um, because I think it's, you know, getting to know you as I have done over the last couple of months, I think there's a bit more to it. So breaking down those kind of silos of, of, of functionality that you have, um, it'd be great if you could kind of give us a sort of helicopter view of, of the different offerings within the Bolt business. Yeah, so Bolt is the world's largest technology-enabled ecosystem. Um, we seek to do really one simple thing, which is match uh, distributors of insurance, sellers of insurance, with people who are looking for insurance and protection products. You know, we we particularly here in the United States, we we consider ourselves an exchange, and you know, by definition, exchanges where buyers and sellers meet. You know, our goal is to not just you know increase the ways that those situations can occur, but to also create opportunities for insurance and protection products for folks who previously might not have had access to them. So it's not just about selling in different places. It's also about selling to folks who might have previously uh, been unaware or unable to procure some of the products. So that's kind of, that's the way we center ourselves. And we, we do that in a multitude of different ways with our, with our various partners. I think the use of the term exchange is is really important and, and something that I'm, because I'm not baffled by because I've been in insurance long enough to know <laughs> change change takes time. But um, why do you think the, the digital exchanges have been so slow to enter the insurance marketplace as opposed to something like you know digital trading trading and banking has been around for much longer tenure than than digital trading and insurance? Yeah, why, yeah, why do you think actually, that is a great question? Um, lots of reasons for it. I mean, the first one is. Um, and I'm not implying that insurance is, is terribly different than other industries, but it's what I know, so it's what I'm going to talk about. The first thing is insurance has long been a very fragmented industry. And fragmented is a multidimensional term. It's fragmented doesn't just mean different companies doing different things for different parts of the market. It's also fragmented from a technology perspective. You know, Many folks in the insurance space suffer from uh, legacy technology. While I think this has improved over the past several years, we see this in real time here at Bolt, but I think the insurance industry has has rightly been criticized 
for being a little slow to the technology enablement game. Um, the great news is though, um, companies have embraced it. And now you see this, you know, almost, I think frenzy might be a little bit of an exaggeration, but you see this frenzy again of carriers, distributors, and insure techs kind of partnering together and trying to find, you know, figure out ways to distribute those, those uh, uh, insurance products. Um, I think though, if I were to make a broad observation, I think there are parts of the, of the kind of insurance technology uh, space that are a little more mature, but there are also a lot that are more nascent in what I say in the test and learn phase. Um, you know, one of those areas I think is embedded insurance. You know, we, we are one of the largest embedded insurance providers. So we get a kind of a front row seat to the kind of the, the, uh, the marketplace in general. And I think there's a lot of companies running around out there kind of, you know, as we say in the tech space, plugging APIs in as many places as they possibly can, hoping that traffic will come. And I think there's some testing and learning going on in that space. We, uh, we've been doing it for a long time, so we feel like we have a little bit of a head start on that. But um, kind of that's an example. So it, it's, it's the, the, the reality of it is what's, what's kind of embedded in your question is correct. The insurance industry has been a little slow to come around. The good news is they have come around. And I think many of the legacy folks that that may um, not have thought they needed investment in in uh, technology, uh, one of two things is going to happen. Either they're finally going to wake up and realize they do it, or I think eventually the customer, which is really at the center of everything uh, we do, the customer is just going to find somewhere else to go where they can provide a more technology-enabled, seamless, and quite frankly, simple experience. Yeah. I think that's that's such an important thing to to, to send to the customer, and, and I think people talk about it. But we we um, my colleague Sophie and I attended a, a UX UI event in the fintech space, and and they were talking about it was more centered around banking. It, it, it was quite funny. They kept saying fintech and insurtech. You know, <laughs> it was very much an ad hoc. You know, <laughs> and, and I was like, oh, good. Um, but it was predominantly fintech, and we were talking about interfaces with with apps and new banks and particularly like digital banks and everyone in the room was very excited about the digital banking journey um and the new banks they were saying university done it better excuse me but then someone raised a really important point which was they put up their hand quite sheepishly as went do the customer really care like like you know like, <laughs> i love it <laughs> and i thought it was an important point to think about with insurance and particularly embedded is that we've got to be very, very careful that we don't do things just because we can. You know, we could embed an insurance offering in certain situations, but like, does that actually mean we're going to sell any policy? Is it going to mean the customer experience is any better? Um, and I think that's, you know, to your point about plugging APIs absolutely everywhere, that's the kind of caution because I, I heard a, a VC talking about this, sort of, he was talking to me about all these embedded offerings that he'd had and they were much, they were quite narrow. Um, and he said, well, none of them are making any money. They weren't selling policies because it was there, but it wasn't there. So it's making sure, presumably, that in, in Embedded to be successful, presume it's about building absolutely the right partnerships and not just doing it along the way. That's exactly right. Lots to unpack there. So first of all, I agree with you com completely. Um, it, it's the correct observation, in my opinion. 
I think, you know, you know, first of all, the way we think about it is, and this is what I meant before when I said the, you know, plugging APIs in, people quickly realize that the technology itself is only one part of the embedded insurance experience. Um, it has to be centered around the customer and it has to be centered around what I call the intersection of commerce and risk, right? Timing and intent matter. Meaning, you know, when you go into an auto parts store, are you thinking about buying auto insurance? Probably not. It's an adjacency. It feels kind of intellectually logical, but is that really a moment where you're, you know, you're in there to buy a muffler. You're not in there to really be thinking about, you know, price shopping your car insurance versus, for instance, if you're buying a car, right, and you're sitting there at the dealership lot, um, that's actually a clever time where the intersection of commerce and risk overlaid with intent is high, right? So I think, you know, first and foremost, the, I think the companies that are going to succeed are the ones that are going to understand and master the art of intent. I think the second one is, is the, um, what you mentioned earlier, which is the kind of the beautiful digital journey, right? It's got to be easy. It's got to be seamless. And there's a lot that goes into that, whether it be pre-fill or, you know, AI and ML enable predictive pre-fill and defaulting and things like that. But it's got to be, it's got to be kind of a, a seamless experience. <clears throat> and then the final thing is, I think is, is it's around focus. I think if you try to be all things to all people, you're never going to really get to the point where you can master what I call the non-tech part of it, right? Who are the customers? Do you really understand the customers in the retail space versus the auto space versus the real estate space? You really want to make sure you understand that end customer. Now, Bolt, as you know, Bolt is B to B to C. So our customers is kind of, you know, our customer is the B and the B to B to C. We enable them to serve their Cs, their customers. But at the end of the day, we have to be hyper-focused on who that, who kind of both of those customers are. But really understanding um, kind of that space and kind of what are the preferences, buying behaviors, and what are the intent levels at various moments within a, within a, a buying process. And I think you know, the, those three things, I think, ultimately will define or differentiate the winners from the losers, in my opinion. No, I, I had a, a sort of parallel conversation to this in, in terms of when we were talking about customer, because we, I was talking to Oded Barak and, and uh, Five Sigma, and it's a claim solution. Um, it's a full kind of 360 claim solution. And we talked about who is the customer on that, that journey, because you're selling it to or risk managers that need to manage claim but then your customer is both the, the 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 entity that's buying it it's the claims adjuster that's using it and it's actually the 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 person that's trying to claim at, at, at the end of it as well so and if you forget about any one part of that you can't sell it so it doesn't become commercial it doesn't get utilized because the claims professional doesn't want to use it and then the customer doesn't have a good experience as a result of it and and that always seems to be the challenge for me is, is building B2B to C products is, is remembering that all of these people, every touch point is a customer and it needs to work for all of these people to get full, full engagement and adoption. Um, I, uh, I wanted to talk to you because specifically about the US. So it's obviously Bolt's gone into the US. Are mm -hmm. there any market dynamics that 
have made it uniquely difficult, challenging, as opposed to kind of other geographies that you've operated in? Is, is there something unique that maybe wasn't kind of foreseen as well that, that's potentially come up on the journey to kind of launching Bolt in the US? That's a great question. I, I think so, you know, most of my personal experience has been, um, I'll call it in this hemisphere, right? Canada, US, Latin America, uh, some Asia and a little bit of Europe. Um, I would say the US market is is somewhat unique in terms of its maturity, right? So I think the maturity of the carriers um, um, in terms of really across the spectrum uh, is one thing, uh, particularly, and again, I've got to be careful because there are certainly countries within these regions that are more advanced than others. So I don't want to overgeneralize. But, um, you know, ironically, despite what we were talking about a few minutes ago, I think from a technology perspective, there are some real, you know, kind of leading customer, uh, leading carriers and, and distributors out there. Um, you take uh, Progressive, for instance, you know, long known as a, as a uh, uh, kind of as a trailblazer on a multitude of different levels, whether it be underwriting claims and technology, right? They're actually a, a customer and partner of ours, and we help power part of their ecosystem that helps them distribute insurance um, and provide choice. So, uh, you know, part of our value proposition or a core, a central part of our value proposition is providing choice. That's what we do. We enable um, insurance uh, and distributors to provide uh, multiple options to their customers. <clears throat> um, there's, a, a, there's a lot of reasons for that. We can certainly get into that. Um, but ultimately, there's fundamentally two ways that you distribute. You can distribute insurance, uh, tech-enabled insurance. Um, one is with choice, and that means... Uh, you know, uh, one policy, multiple options. And then there's, then there is the, uh, what we call bolt one, which is kind of a, a one-to-one and, you know, kind of the differentiation, if you're looking for kind of what's the guiding principle that differentiates when bolt one is best and when bolt choice is best. Um, it's, it's really the sophistication of the product you're selling, right? There's a lot of very simple products. So most people would be familiar with, when, you, when you're buying an airplane ticket and you get down to the bottom where you're about to pay and they'll make you an offer of you know, trip protection insurance. And they're not giving you choice because it's a simple product. They've essentially selected the solution for you. You're not selecting it yourself, but intellectually and process-wise, it's very simple. And you know, generally speaking, we're comfortable with that. When you move into more sophisticated products, homeowner's insurance, automobile insurance, small commercial insurance, they, those tend to be a little more complicated. And I think people by definition look to have choice. And in many cases also look to have um, some type of human interaction and coaching. I think that's a, that's a reality of it. So um, I think broadly speaking, getting back to your question, I think that's an area where uh, here in the United States, um, it's become rather sophisticated in the way we think about the differentiation in those. And, and I think Bolt actually is, is um, we're not the only, but I think we're somewhat unique in that we, we do both, right? We can do choice and one. 
And another way we're unique is we also, uh, again, not the only one, but one of the only ones that does both commercial and personal lines within one common technology infrastructure. Uh, most folks out there do one or the other, so. Yeah, sure. Um, I think leaning into your insurance background, you know, long career in, in insurance and then moving into insurtech, I think you, you're in a really unique position to, to, to answer the question um, about the incumbent insurers. Do you think it's fair to say that incumbent insurers, incumbent brokers, potentially been too successful to innovate? Is, is that one of the reasons that, that potentially lagging behind where we would expect everyone to be? I think some, but I, I really think it's it's really um, it comes down to to really prioritization resource uh, kind of resource allocation, right? I think you know you can frame it to say that they've been so successful that um, they haven't slowed down long enough to innovate, and I think that would be fair. The beauty of it, however, is that with this you know with this emerging insure text base and it's rapid maturing, I think it gives the carriers, the brokers that may have been um, complacent or unfocused on innovation, it gives them the ability to quickly get back in the game. You know, we, every industry, every technology industry, whether it be insurance, financial services, or something else, everyone struggles with that percent population of their future or current customers that thinks they can build it themselves. I think, you know, fortunately and smartly, um, most of the folks in the insurance space have acknowledged the fact that partnership is better than trying to build everything themselves. Um, you know, generally speaking, when I was with an insurance carrier, uh, I and I was with insurance carriers for over 25 years, I you know, early in my career, I thought, well, we could build this ourselves, but I quickly came to the conclusion that, you know what, I'm going to focus on taking care of my underwriting. I'm going to focus on taking care of my customers during claims. And if I need to bring in some technology, I'm going to bring in an expert who actually can partner with me to do that. And I think um, while there have been folks that you could argue are, have been too successful, I think there's a path forward for them by partnering with folks like Paul. Yeah. I think that's true and I, I think that's the observation I've made even in the you know so I've been I've been in insurance for 17 years and and the journey that you've seen those insurers go on is is everyone built everything in-house on-prem you know if we if they needed new technology it was built there's this long-winded you know, years process and then quite often we weren't up to scratch when we delivered it and I think the shift that I've seen is is it's everything's about partnership now um, and you look at the damage that a carrier can do, and, and by that I mean how successful they can be with a, you know, if you can introduce some technology that makes these businesses 10% more efficient, then they've already got the mass, they've already got the scale of distribution to mean that that's a very, very meaningful outcome. Um, and I think it's fascinating when you look at the heavy insurtech investment into, let's be honest, the new, the sort of new quote unquote insurers, the digital insurers and how sort of ineffective that had been because there was no denying they, they, were, they were introducing probably better customer journeys um, and better customer experiences. But the thing that the incumbent market has already got is that they're very, very good at underwriting and very, very good at managing risk and portfolios. Um, and, right. and it was there's such a mismatch there of going, all oh, the tech will solve all the problems. Well, not if you're under, under, 
underlying underwriting skills aren't there. Um, so it's fascinating to see the shift away from that. And actually, you know, in this same talk that Sophie and I attended, we talked about digital banks versus in the UK, they'd launched the Chase uh, app. And it's an almost unbeatable product because they could lure people in with price, they could compete with better interest rates than anyone could. And actually, if the functionality was even close, then they were always going to draw customers in. And, and, I, and I flipped that on the insurance head and said, if the incumbent class just get better with technology and they could do that with partnerships, then actually building a kind of new digital insurer seems um, a very challenging proposition. Yeah, my, my advice to the, you know, my, my advice to the insurance industry when they wrestle with the, with the question of should we build or should we partner and buy, I think where most people kind of, uh, kind of miss the mark a little bit is the failure to see the differentiation between, between building and maintaining. And that's a really, really important distinction, right? Building something is, is one thing, but then realizing the complexity of maintenance and enhancement and innovation and continuous improvement, continuous, continuous upgrade, I think that's generally what people underestimate. So what happens is they get millions of dollars into a project, they declare victory, and within six to 12 months, they're dealing with obsolescence. Mm -hmm. Whereas, so, so I think that's, that's a big thing. So we've had, you know, the cautionary tale, we've had countless companies that we talked to, they decided to, uh, they decided to build themselves, and within 12 to 24 months, they were back saying, wow, we didn't realize how hard this was. Can you please help us? And we're always happy to do that. They're very smart people. It, you know, they, 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 just, they just underestimated kind of the second chapter of, of uh, technology, building technology. So mm -hmm. that's my advice. And we're seeing that now. We're seeing sort of new digital insurers, digital MGAs coming out. And there's a very different culture there. The, the, they're almost, you know, I know insure tech is, is a made up term and it, you know, what does it even mean? What does it include? What it doesn't. But if we stick mm -hmm. with the term insure tech, these new digital insurers coming out or digital NGAs are an amalgamation quite often now of, of quote unquote insure techs. You know, they're using a policy admin system for over here, digital distribution for over here, you know, an exchange to kind of provide them some capacity. And, and that's the, that's the thing I get excited about because, you know, that's, that feels a smarter way to do it. It's like, let's have these incumbent insurers who are incredibly good at managing risk, incredibly good at balancing right. capacity portfolios. And then let's utilize all this new technology available to us. Because it's it, it's like having an R&D team within your, insu your insurance company isn't a smart use of resources when you've got businesses like Bolt, other external suppliers of software and, and technology that are continuously innovating because that's their role. Um, that's right. That's right. And that, that's, a, that's like a shameless plug for the recruitment industry, Jim. When, uh, you know, why do it internally? You could do it <laughs> my job. There's no, no shame in that. You know, another interesting thing, and this is this is just an observation, I think, is when you think about the emerging insure tech landscape, um, and then you think about the history of where these companies have come from. And they tend to come from two different directions. The first one is the technology first companies who later invested in insurance capabilities. Then you've got the insurance oriented companies 
who later decided to get into the tech game. And you start to see, uh, you know, you start to see that. I think my observation, my experience is, um, particularly here in the United States, uh, the folks that started in technology or, or started with, I'll call it a technology first orientation, and then later moved into some of the insurance. And what do I mean by insurance services? In our case, placement services, right? I mentioned earlier, you know, I call it the myth of the digital journey. The myth of the digital journey is there's this belief and quite frankly, I think well-founded desire for us to continue to drive consumers toward a purely digital experience, right? There's a lot of, lot of benefit to that. But the dirty little secret is as a technology industry, we have to realize that we can't front run the consumer. We can't front run our customers. Right. The reality is, you know, a, a majority of humans still would prefer to be carried over the finish line, if you were, with some form of human enablement, you know, some form of counseling uh, from an insurance, someone with, with insurance knowledge. I think not only um, do, you know, different lines of insurance and the complexity therein dictate what the percentage of folks who want some type of enablement. Um, but it also has to do with just pure human behavior. You know, certain, you know, certain types of people are more comfortable doing digital themselves versus others. I think, I think one of the one of the little secrets uh, in terms of how to be successful, in my opinion, it's not the companies these days who are forcing their consumers into purely digital journeys. And we see this across, again, because we, we enable our customers to distribute insurance digitally. So we get to see this kind of across the, across the board. The companies that are truly successful are not the ones who forced the consumer into a completely digital journey. It's the ones who are mastering the art of when to intervene. And there's a lot of different, you know, kind of ways you can do that technologically and otherwise, but understanding essentially when to pluck that consumer out of the journey at just the right time to carry them across the finish line. Some folks can make it 90% of the way through and then they need help. Some folks, you know, like my 80 year old parents, they get, they get 5% and then they need help, right? So, and, and companies that understand and master the art of identifying when someone's about to bail, um, I think are the ones that are going to be successful, at least in the short and intermediate term until people continue to get more comfortable with it. Mm. And it's, it's blending those those offerings correctly as well. I mean, I've, um, it's, it's depressing how long it's been going on, but I'm going through a claims process that sadly my full team have to hear about every day because I moan about it. Um, but but it's it's you know most of it's supposed to be a digital journey, but when when it hits a certain point, quite often we have to engage with someone on the phone. My experience at the moment is that that's so under that you know it goes from it's a digital experience, it's an hour wait to get through on the phone. Well, then that's no longer a digital experience, you know. So it's and then they're not alone, and I think it's we you said it yourself just there, just like we can't frown on the customer. But we also, we can't front run ourselves by kidding ourselves going, right, we've got a digital journey. Well, if that digital journey can't take someone 90% of the way there, we still have to have a resource to service them in a very traditional way. Um, otherwise, we're just um, 
making people fall out of love with insurance um, and even kind of when we're modernizing it. Yeah, um, and that, that actually brings up kind of one of the themes of the conversation you and I are having is the whole concept of partnership, right? And that's something that that we see because it requires it requires, you know, really close alignment between those partners, because quite frankly, because of what we talked about earlier in terms of the insurance industry broadly kind of being a little late to the game from a technology perspective, um, you know, helping carriers or distributors, you know, brokers, et cetera, understand the importance of things like API connectivity, right? Mm -hmm. It's becoming ubiquitous, but only a few years ago there were carriers that, you know, weren't even thinking about investing in APIs, which is really the, the key to unleashing or unlocking digital distribution. So it's an example of where we as a, as kind of a, uh, you know, as an insurance, as a technology insurance uh, distribution specialist, we can help counsel those folks, you know, and, and help them understand the importance of not just why it's important, but how to actually get it done. And it's all about that partnership. Mm. Well, that's, that was going to be one of my questions to you, actually, like, and, and you've probably answered it there, but I suppose maybe taking this, this question a step further is I was going to ask you, like, how much of innovation is education? Um, and, and it sounds like quite a core part of it. In practical terms, what does that, what does that mean for you in terms of route to market? How, how does one approach that? I think first and foremost, it's a matter of, of self-awareness. Right, it's it's having a good understanding of what you do know and then what you don't know, and what's the best way to know, understand, kind of know what you don't know, is to seek out that education, and that education comes in a multitude of forms. It you, it could be uh, partnering with someone like Bolt, it could be listening to this podcast, it could be attending conferences. There's a multitude of different ways, but I do think. Um, education probably sits at the at the core uh, of innovation. I think you know an, another an, another thing that is, is critical is the is the just not being afraid to fail, right? Education only takes you so far, and you know not being afraid to it's how technology has been built, right? How many how many currently successful tech entrepreneurs? Almost every one of them. Have a have a story about how the first two failed, right? Or the first one failed, or the first five failed. And I think you know, education was the stepping stones, but ultimately not being afraid to fail and being willing to test and learn, I think, is also uh, really important. Yeah, I completely agree with that failure piece. Um, I'm, I'm sitting here ruminating on this being my third recruitment business. So. <laughs> <laughs> and I wouldn't, and it wouldn't even, none of them were cataclysmic. It was just not, not right. It was that, it was that it worked, but it, but it's, it the achieve, it's the achievement of exit velocity, right? You, you, yeah. You, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Making decisions quicker and making, knowing that bad decisions, I think you get better at making, cutting things off that are going wrong. That's, that's the thing I think the evolution is saying, you make as many mistakes, but you just don't dwell on them as much in terms of one, beating yourself up about it, but also just being able to spot very early, this isn't working, let's move. And, and I think that's where technology first businesses are better and that's where they're stronger. Um, and, and you and I have talked about this before, but for example, the culture of selling within um, software businesses is much more sophisticated than the culture of selling within insurance businesses. Um, they've just applied more to it um 
and uh, yeah, I, I find that kind of interesting about you, you sort of education piece that you were talking about there and conferences. And obviously we just had the ITI conference yep. in Europe and there's so much to learn there. The culture of technology businesses is to give people room to grow and learn. And I know Google's famous for having, you know, 20% of your week is just on sort of innovating. Do you think that's probably one of the reasons insurance is a bit behind? Because we're we're very bad at siloing people. I mean, I, I left the industry because I joined as a claims person, expressed interest in moving into another sector, and basically was given this kind of like five-year timeline, which for someone that's just left college just goes, five years is an eternity. So we don't move people around divisions and we don't leave people space to go, yes, you need to, you need to go to conferences, you need to learn, you need to educate, and that's your job. We say, if you want to do that, you do that in your own time, essentially. There's, sort of, there's not a very good culture of education, I don't think, within insurance. Yeah, that's actually a brilliant observation. And it actually brings us back to the very beginning of this conversation. What you just described in terms of your own personal experience is an example of the fragmentation that I think sat at kind of at, you know, was one of the things that sat at the center of, of you know, kind of insurers slower pace to adopting uh, technology. And... And I think, um, you know, again, fortunately, listen, the, the legacy carriers continue to struggle with it. You know, part of it is cultural, but part of it is, you know, necessity of size. When you're a gigantic behemoth company, you have no choice. You have to break down and specialize. That's how you succeed, right? Monoliths generally don't last very long. So it's, um, I think that's really, really important. But yeah, in, I mean, investing in the education and being willing to be nimble. You know, another thing, we didn't talk about it earlier, but another thing I think that uh, represents somewhat of a binding constraint for the insurance industry is, um, and this is not a good thing or a bad thing, it's just a thing. It's a highly regulated industry, right? So it does it does create a, kind of a paradigm within which um, some other industries um, don't, don't suffer. I mean, one of the, you know, as, as you and I are both examples of people who, you know, spent time in the insurance industry, but then decided to leave to do something different, right? You, you do what I, you do, I do what I do. Um, and one of the most liberating aspects, if I could just make more of a personal comment is, is the freedom, the freedom um, to operate without that kind of regulatory construct. We have our rules, of course, but technology tends to be less regulated than than the insurance industry itself and that i think is it, um, is good and again it you know tying it back to your education comment i think it's uh, uh it it makes the it makes the education process or the, it makes the you know what's available to you from an education perspective far more diversified right you know one day i could be reading about you know the distribution of a mobility insurance, you know, scooter insurance, the next minute I'm thinking about or talking to someone about workers' compensation, which is one of the most classic here in the United States, classic regulated lines of insurance uh, that exists. So um, yeah, it, it's it's one of the things that makes it fun. I guess I'll, I'll finish yeah. it with that. Yeah, no, I, I, yeah, that's certainly why, you know, I made the shift was to, was to have that diverse kind of conversation because I could be talking to you about digital exchanges right. and Yesterday, I was talking to someone about um, about crypto insurance and and 
I knew next to nothing about that gym. <laughs> it was, you know, it, it was even having to break down what the acronyms meant. And, and, and that's, but that's exciting. It's nice to be in the situation where you don't know something. That's actually really, it's a really good point. And it comes and, and, it, and it, you can actually connect it to um, one of the trends that's going on in embedded insurance, which is, it, it's a term I call democratization of insurance distribution, right? The, the, in, the, in the olden days, and I'm not going to, I'm not going to, I'm not going to frame a number of years that I consider to be the olden days because I've, I've been around since then. Um, it, it's this democratization of distribution, meaning you used to be able to buy insurance from insurance companies and insurance agents and brokers. Now we all see, getting back to my intersection of commerce and risk comment, we all see the ability to purchase insurance popping up in a diversified places. You can buy car insurance in, you know, in real estate transactions. You can buy automobile insurance in a car transactions. You can buy travel insurance at the moment of booking a trip. You can, you can buy, you know, really thinking of, think about it this way, any place, at least here in the US, any place that you are requested to sign a waiver is also, in my opinion, an opportunity to present an insurance offering. Right. So so it's that. And in doing so to your crypto comment, it gives folks like us in the insurance space and you in the recruiting space, you get to talk to people in all different industries that are thinking about, is there an opportunity here to distribute a protection product, an insurance product alongside whatever my core product offering is. Right. It makes my customer more sticky. It improves CAC to LTV. Um, and it diversifies and stabilizes my business. So, you know, you kind of take a trend that's occurring in the embedded insurance and you connect it back to kind of your education and exploration. Um, and it's part, again, it's part of what makes this business fun. Mm. I, I, I was going to ask you another question, but I think ending on make, making insurance fun is, a, is the best way that we can end. <laughs> is that a contradiction? <laughs> no, no, absolutely not. And um yeah, I think it was uh, Nigel Walsh has been on a mission from Google to, to make people fall in love with insurance. And Yeah, uh, no, I know Nigel. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, we, I think we, we should support him on that mission. So absolutely, um, Jim, I could talk to you for, for ages and, and, and thank you very much for your time. But, but I've really enjoyed that conversation. So, yeah, no, Jim, thank you, thank you very much. Thank you. I really appreciate the time. Really, really appreciate the conversation. Thanks, Jim. All the best.